0: Right. If you have your Bibles, go and find your way to Luke chapter eighteen. Um, this 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 spring we've been going through a, a series called Meet Jesus, just looking at different different interactions that Jesus has throughout the Gospel of Luke, and just I'm trying to understand who Jesus is. Because if you to to understand where we're going, it it, it makes sense of where we are now. Because um, what we're looking forward to is this spring looking at who Jesus is. What did he teach? How did he teach? How did he interact with people? And then ultimately looking at some of those first sermons through the book of Acts later in the spring um, towards the start of summer. I guess I shouldn't say later in the spring. We're pretty much almost there anyways. But more in May, looking at some of those first sermons. Just What, what did the first church start preaching about Jesus? So we can kind of see who they were developing, and this summer um, we plan to spend some time um, with Abraham, just kind of looking at his life, and, and the reason we're doing that is because we, we believe that we should look at story of Scripture, that, that, that there's this redemptive plan that God has unfolded to us in Scripture, and so we want to go then to Abraham this summer and look at the, the covenant given to him, and, and see how that covenant then affects us as we're part of that promise. That, that we're a visible representation of the promise that God gave Abraham. And, and not that he was always faithful to that. Um, I think we forget that, that we think Abraham was faithful, but he also messed up too. And so we want to look at just who he was. And then next year, next fall, starting um, a series through Romans, we're going to spend about 40 weeks starting in the fall just in Romans, so we want to understand who Jesus is, we understand the, the covenant promise that he's, that, that God gave to Abraham, so that we can then unpack the, the doctrinal weight that, that Paul gives us in Romans, so we can kind of set the foundation for that, and then, and then jump in and, and dive into Romans for about 40 weeks, we'll be in there, so I'm actually, I don't say that because I'm not excited. I'm excited to get there, but I think we need to do some, some groundwork before we get there. And so um, today we find ourselves in Luke 18, and, and I like to ask questions. We think that it's important to ask questions, to get to know people, but, but it also sets the mind in a right thing. But today, instead of, I, you might be like me. When someone asks me a question, you respond, but in your mind you might be thinking, why are they asking that question? Like, what, what's the end game of that question? And so today, you need to turn that off for just a second, okay? Don't, don't ask why I'm asking the question because it'll be evident later. We're not going to hide that fact. I don't want to shade that fact. But I, I want you to, to truly understand the way you respond, not trying to get the answer right. Does that make sense? Like, if it was on the blank, you'd already be figuring out why is he going there. Don't, don't do that. Just, just, just go with me, and, and I promise it will make sense. And, and the, the question that I have for you is, how often... Do you find yourself comparing yourself to others? How how often do you find yourself in life acknowledging that you're comparing? Think about that. Think think now about how often we we find ourselves comparing ourselves with other people. And not necessarily in a negative way, just that you notice differences maybe. How often do you notice, is that the first thing that you notice about someone, you immediately go to differences versus similarities. Or you try to figure out their life by the external presentation that you're seeing of who they are. And, and so as we get into that mindset, that's, that's really what Jesus has for us and showing us the, the reality of what we do as people. And, and so if you will, just, just pray with me real fast before we read this passage. Just, I want to understand it and just have this idea of the Spirit that's really going to open that for us. So if you will, just pray with me. Father God, I just we come before you today, God. We open your Word that you've given it, given us, and I just pray that that as we read your Word and proclaim your truth, God, that your Spirit would reveal to us what you would have for us today, God. That your Spirit would shape our hearts with precision that only your Spirit can achieve, and I just pray that that as we look at this passage, that your Son spoke for us, how that it would change our lives, that it would change the way we relate to other people, would change the way we relate to you, and that our lives would become a light to the world because of it. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. If you will follow along, we're going to be in, in Luke 18, we're going to read verses 9 through 14. Then in verse 9 he says, And he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men, this is Jesus now talking, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, and he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And, and again, it's one of those stories that we, we've seen. I don't know if you've, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you'll notice that these are, these are stories that are actually pretty known. If you grew up in church... There's a chance that you've heard this preached before. I'm not the first one talking about this passage to you. And, and because of that, that, we get this idea that we get stuck in what we've heard. We, we get stuck in this idea that, that when we come to it, we already know what this passage is about. So it's hard for us to approach it honestly and, and without previous... Thoughts, but but that's what I, I want you to try to do today, and and we'll and as we do, we'll we'll understand why we need to start thinking about how we compare ourselves with other people as, as we look at what Jesus has for us in this passage, this interaction between. And, and the first thing that we need to notice is that that we all need a, a realization of need that that we have to realize that there is a need that because if there's if there's not a need, then there's nothing. That, 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 that we need, right? I mean, that's pretty common sense there. And so this realization of need is what, it, it kind of permeates the entire story that we have, and it sets it up. And remember, he, he's talking to a group of Pharisees. You get that in chapter um, 17, if you're, if you're looking in, that, that there's this the, this group of Pharisees have been questioning him, and he's still talking to this group. And, and so it's funny that Luke describes them in verse 9 as, to some who trusted themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Like he's saying, okay, it's still the Pharisees here, this is what they did. This, this is the type of people. And then we we look at that stage, we look at that setting, we realize that that really the gospel's for all people. That there's a need of the gospel for all people. And, and we see that in Romans 1.16. That's what Paul says that he's not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of salvation for what? All people. For the Jews first and then the Gentiles. It's it's a it's a gospel that's for all people. And and again in Colossians 1, 6, Paul talks about that the gospel is growing and bearing fruit since the day that you heard it. And so we need to understand that there's this need for a gospel understanding in life, no matter who we are. We, we need this. And so when we look at that, that it makes sense because the the Pharisees, they were the devoted people. They, they were you can't we we forget that that they might have been misguided in how they applied that, and we'll look at that in a second, but they were devoted to God. They, they weren't some crazy offshoot trying to do their own thing. They were just trying to find their own righteousness through their devotion instead of through Christ. And that was the difference. But they were devoted to that, but they still had a need of the gospel. They still had a need of the gospel. And, and really, we need to understand that because when we get into, you look at like Matthew 9, when Jesus says that He came... Not for the righteous, but for the sinners, right? And so we all have this need of the gospel. And so it's not this idea that we somehow graduate from the gospel. And I grew up in a church that, that they didn't mean to, they didn't implicitly teach it, but they implied that, that once you're saved, it's kind of up to you, right? And you might have had that same understanding growing up that, that if you grew up in a church that, that it was one of those things where the gospel is good for salvation and you're kind of up to your own. Right? Just kind of go do this. Like, be a good person. Right? I don't know how many times I heard that. And it wasn't trying to, to teach this idea that I'm a good person. It was just say, but they had lost the idea that the gospel was for everyone. That it then continues through life. That we need to come back to the gospel. We need to go back to that. We have to have this realization for a need of the gospel in our lives. Because if we don't, then we're never going to go back to it. We're going to be constantly in this idea like the Pharisees. Who Jesus is speaking to here? That, that we're going to go back to this idea of, of what we see or or what we do, and so if if we go that, if we think that we're good, that eventually Jesus, you're going to come to a point that eventually Jesus isn't going to matter in your life anymore. If if we if we forget that we have a need for the gospel, then Jesus isn't going to to he isn't going to sustain us at some point. Because we're going to get past that. We're gonna. I know those answers. I know all those answers. And we're going to have this desire to go back to that. And then what happens is culture will start to bend you. So what we see happening right now. It's, it's because we have forgot the need of the gospel that, that culture then starts to bend you. And you think, well, it's really not that far off. I can kind of see that. And you start to bend to a cultural ideology that says that, well, maybe you're kind of off on that. Or tragedy will break you. If, if we get to the point where we don't rely on the gospel to understand who we are, then the culture will bend us in tragedy or eventually will break you. Because then you have no hope. Only the gospel sustains hope throughout our lives. If we go back to that, and so we have to have this realization of that. Because really, this isn't just a passage about prayer. It's a, it's a passage about who we are in Christ. It's not just the prayer that these two men have. It's, it's the, the reality of who they were in relation to God. The, that's the, the, really the, the meat of this. And he uses a story like he does. And it is, it, I, I wish I could tell stories like Jesus. Do you ever get that? Like, I wish I could just, on the spur of the moment, have a friend that, that, if you have a friend that's not saved, not a Christian, and they ask you about it, don't you wish you could just bust into like a cool story that, that speaks to everything and it gets them engaged and then all of a sudden it switches and they're like right? Do you wish, uh, that's what he does, right? He gets your emotions, and he, and he latches onto that, and because every time he does, he points to the point in the person's life to where they're not relying on the gospel anymore, and that's some, sometimes that's for the very first time when you get to people like Zacchaeus, he points out how he's never had that need and that desire. But also you get at times where you, you have people like the Pharisees or those that, that, that might have, should have known it, but they don't. And so he always comes back to that point to where the gospel is the reality because the gospel gives himself. He's the point of everything. That's why you might have always been told that, that if the, the pastor or the teacher asks you a question, just say, Jesus, right? It always works, right? You're always right in some way because that's what happens. But we have to realize that we have a need for that. It's not just some little catch thing. We had a little Jesus in and it's correct. It has to be the reality because we see that in this passage. And as we go through, and look at the, the two things really that if we understand that there's a need, there's, there's really two people that come out of that. There's one people on one side that, that have this idea that it's about the external condition. It's about the devotion externally. Or on the other side, you have people that, that realize it's about an internal reality. And you see both of these examples in this passage. So first I want to look at the, the, the external condition that we see in here. And really we get it at the end of, 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 of 9, kind of the, the second part of verse 9. We see that they themselves, they treated themselves, trusted themselves that they were righteous and treat others with contempt. And then really, what, what we're talking about then is the Pharisee of this. Look at verse 11 and 12 again, and then we'll unpack it a little more. So the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector, And we see there is that, that then this is the type of person that's focusing on they, they realize that there's a need. They understand it because they, all they've gone, is, all they've gotten in their entire life is a heavy dose of the law. And, and they're kind of stuck at this point where, where, where Luther was, Martin Luther was at the law, where it was just this negative thing because it exposed sin. And, and he never got past that. in in his life, and they're the same way, that that there's this need, and so because they understand that there's this need, they understand the realization that they have a need, they have then focused on the external condition that that they display, and they don't get it. In in commenting about this, uh, Matthew Henry, he writes that hypocrites keep up the external performance of religion to save or gain credit. And it's really a good explanation of what the Pharisees did. They, they kept up these external performances of religion to, to gain credit, to, to gain acceptance, to gain credit. And so it was all about the external condition for these people. And that's the first type that, that comes out of the realization of need. If you need something, then you turn to yourself. You turn to the external performances of that. And again, we have to remember that the Pharisees were devoted. We can't, we can't overlook that fact. They, they were devoted, but they were misguided in their devotion. And, and we at least need to understand that. that, that They were the people that knew their Bible. They, they, knew the law, they knew what to do. And they were so going to separate themselves from the sinners so that they might achieve righteousness on their own. It was all focused on the external condition. And so what did they do? They trusted in themselves. If they could just be devoted enough, there was righteousness. A right standing before God. But then notice that last part of verse 9 where it says, and they treated others with contempt, because both of those always happen. If you're trusting in yourself for your righteousness, you're eventually always going to treat others with contempt because you're going to start comparing, right? You're going to compare. And, and what you see in that, the external condition, it, it ends up being this type of arrogance. And if you look at Jesus' interaction over and over with the Pharisees, he constantly points out that they were prideful about the same exact thing that they did what they were supposed to do and they were prideful of it and and he always points out their arrogance in that and, but but trusting in yourself and contempt for others they're always connected you're not going to have contempt for others if somehow you're not trusting in yourself for your righteousness it just it doesn't happen that way because when we look at the external conditions only there's always going to be someone that's worse than you right you're going to be able to find that person you might have to search for it, but eventually you're going to find a person that doesn't do it as well as you, that, that might have failed last week, and so that kind of elevates you. But then in your mind, it elevates you, so that puts them down, and you're going to treat them in a different way. And you're like, I wish you could have done it a little better. There's always someone, if we're focused on the external condition, there's always going to be someone else that's worse off than we are. This is going to allow us then to trust in ourselves, and at least I'm not like that tax collector, right? Because that's what he does right at least i'm not like that person but what's interesting is, is what are they going to do two men went to the temple to what to pray but only one of them prays if you notice that only one of them actually prays and actually it's funny because matthew henry talks about it. he says that the pharisee went to pray but he forgot his errand he went to pray but he forgot to do it why because he was so focused on the external condition of who he was that he ends up boasting to God instead of praying to him. Right? He, he boasts to God, thank you that I'm not like those other people. He, tries it, he gives him a little credit, like thank you that I'm not like those, but, but really it's because I do what? I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get, not just like if someone gives me a gift, I'm going to tithe on that too because it was income right? That's that type of person. Like, and, and not to say that those things were bad. We, we can't forget that. We can't think that, that fasting two times, he was doing more than he was supposed to. That's not necessarily bad. It's bad because he was focused on that external condition that that created for other people to see. He forgot to pray and he starts boasting, right? That, that's what he does. And then in that boasting, understanding who I am, we look at it in, in backwards order. If we go back to what he says first, thank you that I'm not like those other men. And then he lists the sins of the other people, right? The extortioners, the unjust, the adulterers, even like this tax collector. It almost makes you think that like, you can picture them walking in together, right? Like they, they meet at the door and they're like, look at each other. And they kind of glance over and then they walk in and then he's remembering that guy as he's separated. We don't know if that means that maybe the tax collector was a Gentile. He couldn't go to where the Pharisee could because of the temple, they were separated or that they were, it, it, we just, we don't get that information but there's a separation. He stands up and he said, thank you that I'm not like that guy. Right? And we need to understand too though that the standing up isn't a problem with the Pharisee. That was a, a common practice when they prayed. They stood up. The, the tax collector stands up in his prayer. And so it's not that. It's, it's the, the focus on the external condition. And so how many times, think about a time when, when you've done the same thing, you go to pray and you start thinking about who you are and then your mind forgets that you're praying and you start comparing yourself to other people and, and telling God about it. Do you, have you ever had that moment? No, I have. Like, something's happened and you're like, oh, I'm glad that I didn't have to be around those people all the time. Right? Or thank you that my life doesn't look like theirs. It's, it's an honest thing to say, but it, but it proves that you're only focused on the external realities. I, I see that all the time. When I, when I did morning duty at the school, I was a lot worse at this because I saw the people dropping their kids off, and I was easily judgmental, like, how dare those parents drop their kid off in their pajamas, right? I open the door, I see the pajama pants, I'm like, you got to be cute. What kind of work do they do? They don't work, they're just lazy all day. I don't, I don't know, but that's where my mind goes. But if I'm honest, because I'm thinking that the external reality shows everything about that person that we know. And how many times have you done that? Not just in that example, but you go to pray and you forget that we're praying. That you forget that your point is to, to talk to God instead you boast to Him. Thank you that I'm not like this. Like, that's an arrogance. Do, do you see the arrogance in that? There's no way you can say, thank you that I'm not like them and not be arrogant in that display. It just happens. We're prideful. He didn't understand that His good wasn't enough because he relied on his actions instead of on Christ, instead of that. He didn't, he didn't understand it, and we too need to be mindful of that. If we get caught focusing on the external conditions, we'll end up being a place that's not diverse. We'll end up being a place that's just like everyone else, and it's really boring when that happens. And then it breaks down. It, it breaks down because then you're constantly comparing yourself. You're constantly looking at other people. Even within the church. Even within the church, that can happen. Because then we're going to look at each other and think, well, I'm glad I'm not going through that because they brought that on themselves. If they were just a little more devoted, then that wouldn't happen. And so we cannot allow ourselves to become like this. And it's not just this idea of prayer. It's an understanding of how the gospel impacts our lives and then how that impacts everyone else because we see that it's for all people. That it doesn't stop at salvation. It's a continuation in life. And if we continually go back to that, then we understand that it's not about the external condition. And see, the Pharisee in this story didn't get there. He was so caught up in who he was and what he had done that he missed the whole point of why he was there anyways. And then we get the other side of it, the other type of person that's the, the internal reality, right? That, that we get the internal reality, and that's the tax collector. Remember, it's a story about two people. It's a story about two men. The Pharisee went up, but then we also have another one, the tax collector. And, and Jesus couldn't have found two separate people, right? This is the most extreme thing that he could have found. You have a Pharisee and then a tax collector. He couldn't have had a more opposite people, especially speaking to the Pharisees. Immediately when he said tax collector, they were already doing what he's talking about. And so we have this understanding of kind of setting the stage. He couldn't have had a bigger difference in approaches too. Look at verse 13. And we get the tax collector's prayer. It says, But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful To me, a sinner. It's a little different approach, isn't it? If you're just looking at it. Because he has an understanding of this internal reality of who he is. He stands, just like the Pharisee, right? He stands, standing far off. I don't know if that's him separating himself or if that's the, the difference between the tax collector being allowed further in because he wasn't a Gentile, we don't understand that. But he's separated. He's standing, but what? He doesn't even lift his eyes to heaven. And he beat his breast, saying, "God, be merciful me, be merciful on me, a sinner." And when we see that that he doesn't look up, it, it seems odd, right? This reaction seems odd. Not looking up, beating his breast. We think that's weird. We don't do that type of stuff anymore, right? But, but what we see in that is it's a, it's a deep sense of his unworthiness that's on display there. It's an internal reality, but it's being displayed externally. And, and really, it's the exact same. We, we see this exact same response when we look at Ezra. When we look at Ezra chapter 9, uh, and, and chapter 9 verse 6, it says, Oh my God, this is Ezra talking. He says, Oh my God, I'm ashamed and blushed to lift my face to you, my God for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads and our guilt has mounted upon up to the heavens. And we see Ezra in that. Remember, we look at Ezra. If you were with us when we went through Nehemiah and Ezra is the one that gets to read the law for the first time because it had been lost. Everything was was gone. They were at a period of just losing the fact and the sight that they were God's covenant chosen people and rebelled again. And he says, "I, I blush, I can't even look at you. Because my iniquities are iniquities. He's speaking for the people who have risen all the way to the heavens. I can't even look up. That's exactly what we see the tax collector saying. It's an internal reality of who he actually was. He doesn't compare himself with others. He compares himself with God. And see, that's really the difference because they're both comparing. The, the tax collector's comparing, and so is the Pharisee. The Pharisee's comparing himself to the tax collector. The tax collector's comparing, him, comparing himself to God. And he understands the separation. He knows God's standards, and he realizes that he's not up to those standards. And his only response is to, to put his head down and just to beat this, un, this desire of himself and say, I'm not even worthy to look at you. I can stand, but I can't even look at you. And that's the type of prayer that, that's prayed through tears, right? Have you ever been to that point? Have you, have you ever been to that point? Not too long ago, I, I talked about. Um, I'm hearing at one of the Acts 29 conferences. It was actually Matt Carter, their president, president, pastor at Austin Stone. He talked about they always ask people when they hire them if the gospel. When's the last time the gospel brought you to tears? That's the same type of response here. It's the same type of response that that he's at this point because he understands the internal reality of who he is. He's a sinner. And the only thing he needs is God to be merciful, to God to withhold his wrath on him. It's the only thing. So have you ever been at that point? Have you ever been at that point to where you're, you're praying to God and the only thing that you can muster is be merciful? Because I'm a sinner. And if you haven't been to that point, you have to ask yourself, why? You have to ask yourself, do you realize the need that you have of God? Even if you've put your faith in Jesus, at some point there, there's going to be a, a time where you realize either you're trusting in the external condition of what you're doing versus the internal reality of your heart pulled away from God. And that doesn't mean that you, that doesn't mean that you weren't saved. That doesn't mean that you didn't have true faith. But at times we can be, see our desires taken away from Him. And so we can approach Him and just be merciful. I, don't, I can't do it anymore. I deserve your wrath, but just be merciful. Because I'm a sinner. See, that's what this, this passage is about. It's about the internal reality that the tax collector displays. It's not about just prayer, which it is. He, he prays correctly. He acknowledges who God is. He gives him the, the credit for being who he is, where the tax collector doesn't because he just talks to him tax collector talks at God and just says hey look at all these things thank you that I'm not this but, but turns everything about who he is I do this I do that Everything's an I statement if it's an I statement with God then you're not focused on God and so we look at this idea there's two realities that are happening and it is about prayer but it's about a bigger thing it's about the heart that leads you to prayer because if we're focused on the external then we're going to miss it and that's what people see because if we're focused on that external condition instead of the internal reality, that's when your neighbor notices that you don't live what you say. Because they all they hear and that all they see is that you're trying to be someone that you can't be all the time. We, we would do much better if when we finally get a chance to speak the gospel to our neighbors, we just say that God, he just had mercy on me because I'm a sinner. And to understand that. And also, when we get to that point, when we look at the tax collector versus the Pharisee, we realize that the tax collector is going to have credit when people see him. Not because of who he is, because who God is. And that's exactly what, what Jesus points out in verse 14, the first part. He says, I tell you, this man went down, the tax collector, this man went down to his house justified. I wish I could see the Pharisee's face when he said that, right? Because that would have been crazy. That's, that's crazy talk. How can the tax collector be justified? He's a tax collector. He didn't, even, he didn't even do anything. He says he's a sinner. How can he be justified? But it's the internal reality that led him to that. And then what? To his house justified, rather than the other, rather than the Pharisee, who he's talking to, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and humbles himself will be exalted. That's a common theme that you see over and over in Scripture and so, really, as we look at this, we need to see one that that all, not all prayers are accepted. You see that? Well, you can you say it that way, but rather you could say, well, maybe he wasn't actually praying. So, prayers are accepted if they're true prayers. Are only going to be out of certain heart. Because if he's not justified, then what he just did, although it looks good by the world standards or so the external conditions, it's really his heart was far from it. And we need to understand that, that that it's okay to be that way. And something that, that I've been learning recently and been listening a lot to that we're gonna we're gonna start implementing into some stuff that we're doing as far as discipleship and everything is, is understanding this the the gospel rhythms within life. The understanding these these gospel movements, if you will. In, in, the, in the life, and, and really the, the easiest way to understand those that, that I've been hearing people talk about is that, that, that there's really, there's three rhythms that we have in, in a gospel life. It's, it's to confess, receive, and then to walk in that. And what we need to understand is that, that if all the time we don't do all three of those, we're going to find ourselves lacking in something, and it's going to stunt our growth as a Christian, because we should have this desire to go deeper in the knowledge that the, the gospel would grow and bear fruit. Even since the first day that we have saw it, like Paul says in Colossians, that it should grow and bear fruit so we could be walking in that. But what happens is there, there's people that, that, that miss part of those gospel rhythms in their life and they find themselves stagnating or even falling back and going in a negative direction. They still are moving forward, but their momentum is moving forward, but their acceleration is slowing down. So it looks like it's okay, but in reality it's not. You have people that, that end up, that, they get stuck in this confess and receive. Confess and receive. And so anytime that, that we preach about walking through the power of the gospel, the, the people that are stuck in this confess and receive turn that into legalism. We can confess, we can receive God's word, but you can't tell me how to walk. That's legalistic. But it's not if you're not focused on the external condition of that walk. If you're not focused on that, you're focused on the gospel power, putting us in that rhythm of walking in God's grace, then it's not a legalism. It's how we're supposed to live. But you have other people that, that they, they receive and they walk but they don't ever confess. And, and those are the people that when you start talking about the gospel, when you start talking about that the gospel points to our sin, we start talking about being sinners, they're like, that's, that's too relational. That's, that's, that's like too touchy-feely. Like, don't mess with my life. I'm okay, I, I can receive, I'm, I'm like, look what I'm doing. But they end up not having community because they're not going to be in community willing to understand who they re- really are. And so as we talk about the gospel and we continually point to the gospel that says the fact that we are sinners, if you're just stuck in this idea of receiving and walking in that truth, then you're not going to like that because you're not willing to confess that you are a sinner. You'll be like the Pharisee that says, think that I'm not like them. But the reality is we should understand that God be merciful because I am a sinner. We're okay, it's okay to confess. It's okay to acknowledge that with friends that we're truly living our lives that way. But then there's also those people that confess and then they just walk. They don't know how to receive God's grace. And, and these, are the, these are the people that, that basically burn out. They just, they just burn out because they confess, they understand that they're a sinner, and then they're just going to do everything. They're going to do everything. and, and they, They're like the stoic people, right? The, the, they're just, nothing phases them. We're going to walk through it, and eventually they're going to hit rock bottom, and they're not going to be able to receive. They haven't received God's grace, understood it, and understand that it's the gospel that fuels that life. And so when we walk in that, we have to be willing to receive that grace and understand that it's Him being merciful on us, that gives us the ability to continue walking. That's the only way to sustain that. And so as we, as we keep going and we look at this, I just thought it was a, a perfect thing to talk about that, that, that we want to start understanding that there are gospel rhythms to our lives. And they're not easy, but they should all be included in that life. That we should be willing to confess, acknowledge our sin, be humble before God. That we can receive His grace. Why? Because He is merciful. He is merciful. He, he sees you as a sinner and then sees his son in your stead. And then we can walk in that. We, can, we don't have to worry about keeping up perception because the only part that matters is how we are within relation to God because that's going to then propel us to walk in a way that people see a different light in our lives. That's how you're the light to the world. You walk in the truth and grace of God and receive that That's how we truly take the gospel to people because then they want to understand why can you do that? How can you admit that you're not a good person yet reconciled to God? That's what culture doesn't get. You have to make yourself and they don't get that. And so today as we look at this, a a way to kind of uh, apply this to your life and you can see why we talked about how quick are you to compare yourself to others because how we compare ourselves to others reflects the internal condition of how we see ourselves with God. And so as Christians, if you've put your faith in Christ, see your tendency to compare and use that comparison to justify yourself and just repent of that. Just repent of that and say, God, that's, that's what I default to. Just, just allow me to see people for who they are in your eyes instead of a comparison. To be comfortable being who you are. Being comfortable. And that's one thing that we, I always tell people, we just want to be real people here. That when someone new walks in, I just want to be a real person. And we mess up. We're, we're sinners. But God's merciful on that. And that doesn't mean that we just throw it all out because there's grace. No. We still strive to walk in that, but we're not going to use that to justify ourselves. We're just going to be real people. So I hope that you don't mind that I always talk about my failures because that's just the only thing I know how to do. It, it applies to my heart as I'm looking at this so then I can show it to you. But then if you are a sinner, maybe some of you haven't even put your faith in Christ, then you need to see the reality that you don't have to fix yourself first. And so often the church has been bad at that. That, that tells people that maybe you need to look a little different. And I heard a conversation this week about, uh, it was from a, a, a person that was a Christian and they were talking about someone living with another person. And they are like, thankfully, it's a different environment than that other home. I'm like, Seriously? That, that's, that's the type of people that, 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 that's the type of thing, because they proclaimed it like it's right. That's a good thing that that kid's not in that environment. How do you even know those people? Because they didn't. The people I know that those people didn't even understand anything about those people's life. It was all an external perception. It's like, seriously? And so if you're a sinner here, if you haven't accepted Christ, then hear that. that you don't need to change before you can come to God. You need to approach Him humbly and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Because you need to realize that it's only in Christ that you find that. That that we're not saying fix yourself prior. But but come to God and allow Him to, to allow Him to transform your life. Submit your life to Him. One... Act of true faith in Christ saves you. And we need to understand that. We don't fix ourselves. It's not one act of self righteousness that saves us. It's one act of faith in Christ, submitting to Him. And when we do that, we'll understand why we can be like this tax collector. Why that we can understand that He was justified instead of a Pharisee. Because it's not about an external reality, it's about an internal reality who we are before God. And then that empowers us to live our lives in a drastically different way than society says, yet that's what people are drawn to. True, authentic Christianity is understanding that we're a sinner and that God has had mercy on us. And if we're a body, if we're a church that lives that out, God will continue to do amazing things because that draws people to himself. Let's pray.